Hello and welcome to SME TV. I'm your host, Angela Vithoukas, bringing you the latest in news and views for the SME community. Let's break down the taxi industry in New South Wales. There are over 4,000 licence owners, in excess of 200 authorised taxi networks, over 5,000 taxi operators and more than 30,000 authorised drivers. This industry is the livelihood of over 40,000 people and their families. But it's in trouble. Stay watching as we find out more. To join our SME TV community, just subscribe to our YouTube channel. We need your support, not just for us, but for all SMEs. And we encourage you to comment and share SME TV. Joining us today to talk about the New South Wales taxi industry, as at 2020, is CEO of the New South Wales Taxi Council, Martin Rogers. Welcome, Martin. Thank you for having me. Now, in short, I kind of start the taxi industry from 2015 because it was in that fateful year that the introduction of rideshare came about. So tell us, as of that moment, what has then happened to the taxi industry and then we sort of come to 2020, which is COVID, and that's a whole different ballgame. So with the, the taxi industry, the, obviously 2015 was a very disruptive year with the introduction of rideshare through Uber. Now, obviously, the, the way that Uber was introduced, we're not against competition or technology, but the way it came in was the real challenge for us. The taxi industry predominantly was built around licences, and if you wanted to participate in the industry, you needed one of those licences to operate. When Rideshare came in, they thought it would be a different way and not have to use those licences. So that caused a challenge predominantly in our industry around the income levels for our licence owners, who are like the landlords of commercial properties who received income. What happens when you've got a new entrant that comes in that doesn't pay those lease fees because they don't have to? And yep. then the government changes the rules so you don't need to have those licences anymore. So in comes an influx of new competition, but the market doesn't grow at the same rate either. So the earnings per driver or per vehicle decreases as well. Well, if you've got a, a market that's got a set amount of taxi drivers and licence plates, because that's what it was, it was the government controlled the licence plates. So just for a bit of background, um, for people out there who aren't a taxi plate owner or driver... They had a value that you had to buy that from the government and the government set the price on those plates. And those prices were anything, if, if, I'm, if my information is right, anything from two hundred dollars or $400,000 to buy a plate. So the plates, yes, you are correct. So those were from freehold licences or you got a lease from the government, but they did grow over time. But that was and a big I'll, chunk of money. Oh, $400,000 is a big chunk of money, even in today's term, 2015. Predominantly, the way the taxi industry is built is very interesting in why are we on SME TV because people sometimes see the taxi industry as big business, but it's made up of thousands of small businesses. That's what the taxi industry is. Yep. And each and every one of those built this little asset, which they got, they pay off, and in retirement they might sell that on or keep it because that's what they've been building as their nest egg. But they're also well known to be a good investment. At that time, they were known to be a good investment. That's why people willingly invested in them. And as so many of your members are, they're retired people now expecting to earn an income off it. So we've got 2015 that's really blown up the industry with rideshare coming in and the government being, should I say, slow to act or not act at all? I think the government might have been surprised with what, what came. Do, do you think, Martin, really? I think in terms of the adoption of technology. So the thing that's okay. interesting is that technology is changing the way everybody's doing stuff. We had technology solutions. We weren't allowed to necessarily roll them out because of anti-competitive issues. It took a bit of time for that to happen. So when we look at technology, the taxi industry has technology. Technology was around in 2015. 
the adoption of the Uber model and the way they did it, I guess, surprised everybody around the world. And then the, the, the way the regulation was was hard to enforce as the government then changed the rules to allow this to be the new way to operate. Is that the right way to do it? Maybe it is. But there's a cost to those changes and the government needs to pay adequate compensation for those changes. We're not against advancement. We're not against technology. We embrace that. We want to make sure that we're looking after those that built the industry beforehand to make sure that they're catered for as we move into the new future. So I, I, I agree with you. It, you didn't hear the conversation within the industry or outside the industry saying, you know, ban Uber. It wasn't that. It was just that, well, this is what's happened now. This is how it's impacting us. What are we going to do about it? And it was that slow to act that then meant that the industry was impacted financially. And then also, as you rightly comment, we've got this introduction of rideshare, which I don't, I don't know what the stats are, but it, it kind of doubled the presence on the road and added to the congestion as well, which is something government's been fighting since day dot. Yeah, look, it's, it's very interesting that in terms of the, the number of vehicles, so taxis, as you mentioned, there's about 5,000 taxis that would operate in metropolitan Sydney, about 7,000 taxis altogether around New South Wales. That would then cater for a market of around 40 million trips per year. When rideshare has come in, the number of vehicles has quadrupled. They're available to now utilise those services. Yep. The market hasn't quadrupled though. So what you also have is a lot of vehicles running around empty, waiting for their next fare or their next pickup. Where do they go? They drive around clogging the roads. Now, technology and people moving, this market is going to grow, but the problem is they're not growing at the same rate. So it's, it's the gig economy and we know that there's a whole world of pivot and pain and, you know, no industry is safe. We, we all accept and get that. Somewhere there's going to be a threat and you either adapt and thrive or you shrivel up and die, as they say. But the interesting thing there is that you wouldn't think it would take a genius to work out the market. You know how many taxis there are. You know that there are 20 million people. That didn't grow overnight to double in order to have the quadrupling of the rideshare coming in. So there was going to be some impact. So I guess where my cynicism comes in is that government at, at every level, local, state and federal, does a transport study every, every year. There's some kind of study done to assess how everything is going because they need to build roads, they need to build different networks, they need to know what they are. Surely somebody with half a brain somewhere said, this isn't going to work. We have to do something else. So it's typical government, they're slow acting. All right, you're fighting that. You've been spending how many years now? Five years. Uh, so when you look at it, so when we look at a couple of things around it, somewhat to let supply and demand work itself yep. out. And I agree that that can work. To some extent, yes. As long as it doesn't lead to exploitation in some areas where you've got to look at from that point of view around. Yep. If you've got a, a transient nature of people coming in and going, or a stopgap measure, then you can just churn people and bring them, and you don't worry about the, the earnings. One of the things that's important here is that we want professional drivers. Yep. We want somebody who goes out, and that's their full-time job, to put a roof over the head, food on the table, and kids in school. What's important about it is the utilisation. Can they earn enough per shift, per week, per, per month in order to meet those needs? When you have a whole lot of people coming in, and at the, I guess, the cherry-picking times is where people might come on Friday and Saturday nights, our industry is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week industry. That's what transport needs. Because who's there picking up Mary at 10 o'clock at night? On a Friday, Saturday night, everyone's there. Well, do we have any, any other pieces of transport in New South Wales that's 24 hours besides taxis? Not that I'm aware Not of. Not that I'm aware of either. So the things that we're fighting is also the model. 
And this is where, from a business point of view, yep. the real challenge is, is that, as you recall, I mentioned there was the licence owner. That's like, in a sense, the, the person who owns the building. And then you've got the person who has the vehicle and operating the business, and they might belong to a brand, like, say, a franchise or something like that. That's how the taxi industry was set up. You had the licence owner who leased the plate to an operator who was in part of a bigger brand. And there's two costs associated with that. The lease fee of the plate and also belonging to the network, like your franchise fee, so yep. to speak. When Rideshare came in, they chose not to pay that lease fee. Was that a large amount of money? About 15% of turnover. So taxi networks run an efficient model on about 5% of the total turnover. When Rideshare come in, they take 25% of turnover. Yep. So how do you compete? When you've got a market that has a billion dollars in turnover, the taxi revenue to compete at equivalency level would be about 50 million. Rideshare model, 250 million. That extra $200 million was going to lease fees and pay those asset owners. When you've got that in your business, imagine a small business had access to all that extra money, didn't want to pay the lease fee for the building they're in, but they could divert it to innovation, getting market share. That's the real challenge. Advertising. So they're the real challenges that we Funnily have. Funnily enough, none of that money was going back to the driver. Well, when you look at the model and you have a fare reduction, the majority of that fare reduction was actually by the operator and the driver because you're still taking 25% of a fixed amount. Of the, of the original gross, yeah. So what happened is iPart wanted to get rid of the lease fee. It hasn't disappeared. It's still there in the rideshare model. So we need to say, well, what have we done with the asset owner? We can't we just wiped off $1.5 to $2 billion worth of asset for these people. That, that was the way you made money in this industry. Yes. Most of them are over working age. What do they do now? So we're asking for the government to fix this, and they can. There was a task force report done in 2015. Yep. Recommendation number 40 was to convert the freehold licences to annual licences and recommendation 56 was to pay assistance based on equity grounds. Recommendation 40 was the only recommendation not adopted by the government. The one that would have mattered the most. The one that matters the most today. And the issue is the structure, is that the licence owner isn't the brand owner of the future. They were never given a chance to take that $1.52 billion worth of assets and move it into a rideshare type brand or that frontline type brand. They're a different type of person. Do you think that this one um, got ignored because the industry is made up of so many individuals that they didn't think that that would ever come together in such a force that would force the government to do the right thing? Do you think that's why they they didn't choose to react faster? Well, I just think there was an assistance package. There's an assistance package of $250 million, which is a fair chunk of money. Unfortunately, it is when you look at it as, a, as a, a mass amount, but not for the individual. But let's break down that assistance package. And if I can just give you a couple of examples on sure. how a license worked, is that a license is a right to operate in a market. That is my understanding. Yep. A taxi license allows you the opportunity to operate in three markets. What's called a rank market, you walk up to a taxi rank. A hail market, you put your hand out in the street or a booked market, you ring up or you use your app. They're the three markets that a taxi licence provides the right to operate in. If you didn't want to operate a taxi, you could also operate a hire car, Mm -hmm. but you could only do booked work and you could ring up or you could do one through an app. Now, both of those licences had a fee. 
you could lease a hire car license from the government for about $8,000 a year or a taxi license for all three markets for about $25,000 a year. When the government deregulated, what they did, they said, well, we're going to make the booked market no cost now. So $0. So if your taxi license is made up of that part of the market, that value part of your license just went to zero. If you had a hire car license, what the government did is said, we'll buy that back off you at what you paid for it, plus CPI to today's value. I know somebody that bought a hire car license in the 90s for about $100,000. They were given a check for $178,000. Now remember, that's just a license. Their business still operates. Yep. That was money that they can reinvest. The taxi license in the equivalent area operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week, got $20,000 in assistance. And that wasn't tax-free either? That was taxed, unfortunately, by the federal government in terms of the income tax. Because what it was... It was was deemed income. It was a supplement. There was no actual money paid for the actual equity of the asset that was lost. It was paid in one class, but not in the taxi licences. So those licences have lost over $300,000 in value. Yeah, and and that's, that's... as accurate as it gets. It's a big chunk of change and not to mention that what their earning has dropped. So their face being wiped with the capital investment, gone. Yes. And then they're not earning as much anymore. And most of these people, we're talking pensioners or retired age, what are they going to do? They're not going to get a part-time job. They've become welfare dependent. That's right. Welfare dependent on the federal government. So the question is... Exactly what they didn't want to happen. They are are proud people who did not put their hand out to the government. No. And they want to be self-funded. And we can fix this, though. We have provided a solution to the government to be able to fix it. Yes. And allow to free up... Remember, we fixed the owners of the past. We also free up the business model opportunities of the future to free up that cash flow so we can then compete in innovation. Yes. So you, you... You, you always had a handle on that. You always knew as an industry that you had to change and that you had to adapt and, and what did the future look like. You always knew that. However, then what we've served up to you is a global pandemic. Yes. Right? Q COVID-19. Now, that's seen about 60% of the metro taxis have become deregistered. What does that mean? So that basically means that the person took the licence plate off, went into service New South Wales, handed it over the counter, the vehicle is now parked and it has no plates on it. Therefore, it can't work. So it's not operating. Not operating. And why do they do that? Yeah, why? Because of the costs of running a taxi. So be, once, if, if you maintain the registration, you maintain other costs too. Registration, other costs, insurances, CTPs, all of those costs. But remember, the way CTP works for us is you pay a bit of money up front. So if you don't use it, you might be able to get that back. Right. Okay. So some of those things is to say, well, let's rescue. Rather than running around and having a vehicle that's not making us any money, well, we're going to deregister it because the work isn't there. When international flights get cancelled, yep. when major events get cancelled, when domestics almost stop to nothing, and when people are encouraged to work from home, well, you can saying, drive around. You're saying your stats are that there's been a 90% reduction in fares. When COVID first hit, there yep. was a 90% reduction because basically everyone just closed up shop and went home. We're lucky that there's sort of two markets that we have now. There's the metropolitan market and then there's the regional market. The metropolitan market is still suffering because until we get international flights back and we get tourism and people moving around again, we're happy to take people. See, taxis are one of the safest forms of transport that you can actually go I know, I've got it in bold. Taxis help healthy people stay healthy. That's what we want to say. Taxis are in business because if you go on public transport, you don't know who's going to sit next to you. You don't? 
If you are someone who's healthy and you can't afford to get sick, or you are potentially compromised, can't afford to get sick, a taxi has a controlled environment. So I've I've noticed because. As you said, you've got eight government-funded sanitisation stations around New South Wales and there's a private one as well. So the taxis are getting sanitised every day if they want. What's great is, so we're we're of the view that we're not the experts when it comes to health. New South Wales Health is. We work closely with the Point to Point Transport Commission and New South Wales Health to take guidance on what's the best way to transport people, in particular in taxis. One of the solutions that the government are funding, which is great, is those eight sanitisation stations across New South Wales, and then there's also the privately funded one at the domestic airport in Sydney. Every taxi has the opportunity to get sanitised on a daily basis. That's where the handles, everything deeply sanitised. Drivers also have the kits in, in themselves, spray bottles, sanitisers. But what about the sneeze kit? Another thing, another thing. The go- so the government actually are working on this. I just want the government to tell people that they're doing all yeah, this great I, stuff. I was surprised. Yeah, you know, I didn't so know that there was. Kit? Yeah, what's so a sneeze kit? A sneeze kit is made by St John's, and every taxi has one. Point-to-point vehicles can have them. So if somebody sneezes or coughs in your vehicle, then the driver has the gloves, the sanitizers, the the water, the saline solutions, the wipes to go through the taxi and do a sanitization of it. Because we want to make sure that as a passenger. When you get into that taxi, you're in the safest environment. You're in your own little bubble. We're going to take you from point A and drop you off at point B. That is what we can control and, and we can do it that's safely. That's a big safety issue and to address that because one of those things you might think is, I don't want to get in a cab because I don't know who's been in there before me and what they've done. But what you're saying is they're, they're ready for that. They've yes. got their plan B. We've been working on so right at the start. We went straight to the Chief Medical Officer at Transport for New South Wales and said, what do we need to do? Because our job is to transport people safely and reliably each and every time. And when there's this fear of the spreading of the virus, you need to sanitise. So we made sure that we were following those right protocols. Even some vehicles have screens in them. Some are even purpose-built like a bubble. So you travel in a controlled environment. So I like to say that if you want to stay healthy and you need to go from home to somewhere, work, to the shop, catch a taxi. Apart from your own car, it's probably the safest form of transport. It's uh, a poignant note to end on, but also to encourage people to understand what measures this industry is taking to keep their passengers safe and that this is, these are initiatives that they take on willingly to make sure that a not only are they healthy because the owners or the drivers need to stay healthy as well. They've got families to consider, but you've got an industry for tomorrow. Yes. as well to take care of. Look, this industry, people are moving around. The whole idea of mobility as a service, people are going to give up their cars and come in this way. It's an exciting space actually to be in mm. because if you look at Sydney, it has six billion passenger transport trips on a yearly basis. There's only 80 million trips taken in the point-to-point industry. Imagine we can get 10% of people in Sydney to give up their cars and come into our industry. Our industry grows to 600 million trips. We take congestion off the road. We get people around. It's an exciting space to be in. We just need the government to help us fix the structural things, pay the owners of the past, help us compete in the future, and we're here. Thank you for joining us today, Martin. To all our viewers in YouTube land, have you subscribed to SME TV? Well, if you haven't, now's your chance. A big shout out to Piedmont Studio for making us look and sound great. And to the SMEA Association, thank you so much for believing in SME TV. If you have any tips, tricks, comments or stories, email them straight to me. News at smea.org.au. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us, Martin. Thank you.